Hi, I'm Teresa, owner of T3Fit, and you're listening to the T3Fit podcast, where scoliosis warriors and professionals come together. Here we talk about our scoliosis journeys and the emotional components it takes on from being a parent to being diagnosed with scoliosis and sometimes leading to surgery. It's a place where professionals share their expertise of treatments, from physical therapy to surgery, and so much more. So let's get started. Welcome to the T3Fit Scoliosis Podcast. On today's episode, I am just going to start out by saying I am super excited about this. It is, we are having Dr. Lawner on the show. He deals with tethering. He is an orthopedic for scoliosis. I'm going to say again, I'm super excited. He's here today to talk to us about the procedure, when it started, how he got into it, and just a bunch of questions that we're going to roll out. So I'm just going to give him the floor and say, Dr. Lawner, welcome to the show. Teresa, thank you for having me. And it's a pleasure to be here with you and your audience today. I look forward to uh, getting into our conversation Absolutely. about vertebral body tethering. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to start out with the first question is, can you explain to us what tethering is? Sure. Um, well, it's, it's uh, tethering is also known as vertebral body tethering or VBT. Mm-hmm. And also another name is ASC, okay. anterior scoliosis correction. But basically what it is, it's a, a way that uh, through surgery that um, we can correct scoliosis, but without fusing the spine because the standard operation has been and still really is throughout the world and, and in the United States has been spinal fusion where we basically place screws and two solid metal rods uh, along the spine and basically correct the curve, but also stabilize and fix the spine in that position. So it's kind of like a biological welding of the spine together and you form a solid column of bone Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the fusion process. So this is something very new and and exciting and has been revolutionary. And I, I would say in my practice and for my patients, uh, and you know, this is my 26th year in practice. So, I, okay. uh, you know, to have such a, a wonderful procedure, and in our hands, it's been quite successful mm-hmm. for the vast majority of our patients. Um, is to do this procedure where we correct the curve without fusing the spine, and we do that by going through the side through very small incisions okay. using a scope and a camera. Um, so we can keep the incisions very small, but we still have good visualization. Mm-hmm. And we place screws across the, the vertebra, which are the building blocks of the spine. Okay. And then we attach those screws with a flexible cord. That's the tether. And then we tension it so that we get correction of the curve. And for patients who are growing, which is really where this is standardly indicated, although we have patients that are more on the skeletally mature side who don't Mm -hmm. have growth Mm -hmm. or have very little growth. And that's more controversial if you wanted to discuss that. Um, But the uh, tether basically allows us to correct the curve partially at the time of surgery. Okay. And then with growth, the curve corrects further. And so the patient straightens out over time. And so we have to be careful 
to time the, when we place the cord, if the curve is very small and the child has a lot of growth left, they mm -hmm. may overcorrect and start to go in the opposite direction. And if they did that, we'd have to remove the cord or at least remove parts of the cord or cut the cord. Okay. And then um, if they have a bigger curve and not a lot of growth, they may not correct adequately. So it's finding the, the right time to intervene, to, to do surgery, and also operating on curves that are flexible enough uh, in order for us to get a satisfactory correction. So, so when you talk about it being a small curve, what is what number are you talking about yeah. in terms so of we that? generally operate on curves that are more than 40 degrees. Okay. So anything below that is probably too small. We have other options of, you know, for a 35 or 40 degree curve, I could do another procedure uh, where we go from the back and we can kind of place an internal brace, which is the you know, the step before surgery okay. for patients who are growing okay. is to brace those patients. And sometimes they don't have a good result with bracing and their curves get worse or progress. And then we can offer them an internal brace, a, a device called Apifix. That's a, it's a different procedure. Okay. Okay. And when you talk about the controversy of tethering, you were talking about that based on the age of groups. Is that correct? Right. That's right. So I, in my practice, I have some older patients mm -hmm. and uh, patients who are no longer growing. And, uh, you know, the concern about that is that the cord is not likely to last forever. It's probably going to give way and it does give way in, in some of our patients. Um, and, you know, we, we might imagine that that would happen in all patients that eventually the cord will not uh, stand up. Um, but when we see those cords break, uh, the tether break, it, it usually will break in one or two locations. Sometimes it breaks in multiple locations, but okay. for the most part, the curves have been holding their correction largely, even in our more mature patients. So, but the controversy is that when the cord breaks, the curve's going to come right back to where it was. But so far, we're seeing really good outcomes. And in an adult patient who has a lumbar curve, mm -hmm. so a curve, a curve in the non-ribbed lower portion of the back where most, most of our flexibility and function is, um, you know, the only alternative is to fuse that area and that really stiffens the spine. And if the fusion, often the fusion has to be done to the very bottom of the spine, mm -hmm. especially in patients with a lot of arthritis and, and degenerative discs, wear and tear of the discs. So you end up fusing the whole spine or if you fuse into the middle of the lumbar spine, uh, or toward the end of it, the, the lower discs, the remaining discs have a lot more stress and load on them. So mm -hmm. they break down and then the patients develop more back pain and sciatica, leg pain, numbness, tingling, weakness, okay. and then they need fusion extended down. So the tether, um, even in our adult patients that we've applied this in, and we're going to write up our results eventually once we have long enough follow-up. Mm -hmm. So far, those patients have done very well. They get to maintain their, their flexibility. Uh, they pursue their activities and they understand that the cord may break and, and the curve could come back at least partially. Okay. If it uh, doesn't get severe, then there's nothing to do. But uh, eventually we're going to have cords that are uh, a tether that's going to be stronger that will last longer. Okay. And uh, a super duper tether that will last forever. And uh, uh, that's our hope and I believe we'll be able to do that um, my colleagues and I and engineers okay. uh, as we develop with the company and uh, the new systems 
what's what's the I'm going to use this word intentionally. What's the most mature age group that you have had surgery, that right. you have performed surgery on? I'm almost afraid to admit it here uh, <laughs> in public forum, but I would say middle age. Let's let's put okay. it that way. Okay. And um, and uh, you know, I have to say those patients are very happy. Um, That's and great. It's not a huge number of patients because we, we're very very careful about being selective and. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, you know, the patients and families understand that we're kind of forging the way together. Okay. And, uh, but I have to say, it's been uh, quite impressive what we're able to do for some some of these patients. Yeah, I've I've met some of the people that you've performed this with and will be performing this with along the way, and their the outcome has been really. I love seeing it because it's so different than my story. And the people that are coming to you in the future are just super excited and really looking forward to being pain-free. So would you, would you share a little bit about uh, what it's like if somebody comes to you and says, you know, I have scoliosis and how would you advise me? What's the process? Sure. The mo- vast majority of patients, when they come to you, they don't have severe curves. They, they have some scoliosis and they mm-hmm. just wanna, want to understand what is the natural history. What will happen to my back? What will the curve do? Will it get worse? If they're a growing child, uh, which many of my patients are, uh, we'll follow them over during their growth years and uh, make sure that the curve doesn't get worse. And on, uh, on the other hand, if they have a curvature that's, let's say, between 20 and 40 degrees and they're growing, then we'll recommend a brace. Um, and they wear the brace and we'll follow them closely till they reach the end of growth to, we call that skeletal skeletal maturity and then other patients come in with more severe curves and um you know our recommendation and sometimes they're they're children who don't really have their adolescent girls mostly but some boys as well they don't have a lot of pain in a lot of cases sometimes they have but Mm. often they have very little pain but we do know that if their curve is large enough, it's going to continue to progress even after growth has, has stopped in their adult years. And then they develop back pain and sciatica and problems later. So that's why we sometimes operate on, you know, otherwise asymptomatic uh, okay. young people okay. because of what will happen over time. And uh, so we then recommend surgery and we provide all the options to the families and I spend a lot of time not just talking to the parents, but uh, to the, you know, the, the girl or boy who's going to be faced with this because it's their body and, you know, their fears and yeah. um, and their goals and aspirations are part of the discussion. So uh, we talk about fusion, and that's always an option. Uh, we talk about uh, tether, um, and we talk about this other device, the Apifix device, where that's indicated. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say most majority of my patients nowadays have a tether procedure. I've, I've really focused my practice in this area. So we do a lot of non-fusion corrections. And you've been uh, in this practice specifically with tethering for 26 years. Is that correct? No, no. Okay. So okay. Uh, tethering <laughs> really, uh, I, I've been practicing for 26 years and uh, you know, I, I hope to have another 15 or so more to go, or who knows, maybe more if I'm lucky. People need uh, you. As long as we're doing a good job for the patients and, and healthy. Um, so the uh, tether procedure really is the first one done was about 10, 12 years ago, but okay. the vast majority have been done in the last several years. And I've been doing this for 
uh, six years now. Okay. And uh, I have one of the largest experiences in the world at this point. We've done uh, just under 400 cases and we follow our patients wow. very closely from all over the world. And sometimes you ask what the process is. Um, a lot of times we'll follow from afar. So the patients will send their x-rays in and we'll speak to them over the phone mm -hmm. and check in with each other on Zoom calls and, and the like. So we Thank stay connected. Thank you, Zoom. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you, Zoom. Thank you, Zoom. And and how long how long does a procedure take generally? I mean, I know it can vary depending, yes. but so is there some, a ballpark? Yes. Um, some patients have a single curve, some have double curves. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you know, if they have a single curve, that's can takes less time. But we often our patients are in the operating room for quite a number of hours uh, okay. because we bring them into the room. Um, there, you know, the anesthesiologist puts in an IV, and our patients get an epidural so that okay. after surgery they're kept comfortable and they have okay. control over a button that they press. So that takes some time. And then um, my team and I position our patient in the operating room on the table. Okay. And then we localize where we're going to make the the incision, and mm -hmm. then we prep and drape the patient, and then we start the surgery. Okay. And I work with a, a general surgeon on every single case. So we have two sets of hands in addition to our assistants in the okay. room. And, um, you know, then we do the operation and then we uh, take a final x-ray to make sure that everything is as, as we desire and mm -hmm. as good a result as is humanly possible. And then the patient will wake up. So that's usually about five or six hours just for okay. a single curve. And it's two or three hours more for a double curve. Okay. And then once the patient has come out of surgery and they're in the recovery room, what's the procedure then to get them start to move and just to live life? Right. So our, our patients uh, are usually in the hospital for three or four days, Okay. Um, sometimes one day more than that, but generally three to four days. And then we tell them, you know, no BLT, no bending, lifting, twisting mm -hmm. for the first six weeks. Okay. But they're walking up and around and they get out of bed the day after surgery um, with our physical therapy teams. And then um, they'll go home um, and we hold to that no BLT for six weeks, but I encourage patients to get into the swimming pool at three weeks Okay. and they can do kickboard, walking in the pool. It helps keep the core going. Mm -hmm. As you know better than anybody else, I, I, I like the swimming pool and I like the kickboards. And so many of our patients are athletic and they get to, into the pool, but some don't like pools, so they don't do it. And, and then we get them to physical therapy at six weeks okay. and, uh, and get them back to their activities. I've, I've had some very high level, many high level athletes over the years. Mm -hmm. One girl, for example, from Chile, from South America, she was a nationally ranked uh, rhythmic gymnast Wow. And she was, she's amazing. She's a wonderful young lady. I, I um, was in touch with the family just uh, recently and she's mm -hmm. almost four years uh, post-operative now. Okay. But, but uh, three months after her surgery, uh, she competed and uh, made uh, the, the nationals, the, the um, was able to get into the nationals basically. Yeah. Um, based on her competition three months after surgery. So it, with a fusion, patients don't even start to get back to activities until at least three months. And we wouldn't permit uh, rhythmic gymnastics or gymnastics yeah. and certain dance. And um, 
often swimming is more difficult, especially if the fusion's taken down into the lumbar. So yeah. we have a lot of high level, high level swimmers and uh, they really get to their sport very nicely. It's so amazing how it has changed over time because the Harrington rods are barely used now. Right. The Harrington rod was a single rod with a hook that goes up and a hook that goes down. And they, yeah, that's what you had. Yeah. You had this, the hook up and hook down. Yeah. You seem too young for that. I'm 51. Um, yeah. That's, <laughs> I had this, I had the surgery in 82, 83. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they were longer fusions then, right? Yeah. So um, now, when, yes. Now when we do a fusion, we tend to do uh, a sh much shorter. And, mm -hmm. you know, in my practice, I push the envelope of the non-fusion because I just think it's, it's really great to offer it to the patients. And I think especially in the lumbar spine, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to try to preserve as much mobility and avoid the problems, I, I think it's good to uh, not fuse. It's so important because so many people that I've spoken to along the way, you know, our bodies are taken from us in a way with scoliosis. And you, you are the example of not allowing that to happen, to say, give the patient their choice. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting, Teresa, that you say that it, it's... Um, I tell the families what we know, what we don't know. Yeah. You know, we don't have long-term follow-up and time will tell, but we play out the scenario as they might occur. So um, if the cord breaks and the curve stays roughly where it is, that's great. And the patients don't need anything done. If the cord breaks, we see it on an x-ray. Mm -hmm. Generally, they don't even experience uh, symptoms. They don't even have pain. Um, if the curve comes back a little bit, probably don't need to do anything. If the curve came back fully, the patient has options. One is do nothing. Two is put in a new cord, and we're going to have those, um, you know, zooped up cords, special mm -hmm. cords. I think right. in the future, and uh, they also always have the option for for a spinal fusion. So uh, they're given all that information: uh, what we know, what we don't know, how the scenarios might play out, and then the families and the patient gets to choose. And sometimes, mother or father or or the family says to me, "You know, doctor." even if it doesn't work out in the future, or if she, my daughter needs something later in life, she'll be able to decide. But for now, I don't want her to have a fusion or him to have a, a fusion because that's permanently altering their body. And I want her or him to have that option later in life to decide for themselves. And, and so it's an interesting. Yeah. And you, you provide such a support for that. You know, you don't say it's, it's one way or the other. No, and I, it's not for me to do because yeah. we don't have long-term follow-up and uh, it isn't the standard operation. It's for me to provide as much information as I can to mm -hmm. be a guide and counsel the families and I'm very available to them. Uh, we often have multiple uh, phone calls and conversations, nights and weekends as well. And we get through the process together, but I would say most of the families choose a tether. Um, for me, at least in my practice. And, you know, some families will say, well, I saw this other doctor and he says, I'm not a good candidate or the curve is in the lumbar spine and that's dangerous and to do a tether. And the answer is that's not true. It, it isn't dangerous. We've done so many cases and, it, and the reason other doctors may not feel comfortable or feel that it's dangerous because they don't have the experience with these approaches. So 26 years ago, when I started practice, I started doing 
approaches through the side and that was for fusion then mm -hmm. but we did a lot of those approaches which are the same identical approach as we do today mm -hmm. um, our incisions are even smaller now than they were right but we were using a scope and camera back then and um, so I have a lot of comfort and you know when we teach our the young doctors that are passing through or even senior doctors that come for training uh, you know there's that learning curve and they have to learn that and so it takes time and education and training, but uh, very few of the patients aren't candidates uh, for Tether in okay. my practice. Okay. And that leads me to the next question. So there are going to be people that are going to hear this and they are, I hope that they jump on this because it's an opportunity that it's, I feel like it's kind of in the space of also of Schroth, you know, it's just now starting to evolve. Yes. So, and get thankfully popular because like I said before, it's very different than my story. I have Harrington rods. But if people want to find you on social media, where is the best place that they can reach out to you and your team? Um, probably they can call my assistant, Patricia. One, okay. That's one way. And that's 212-241-8312. Uh, um, and then uh, we have a website that's uh, kind of a, a website that I've had for many years of my practice. I'm, I'm now at Mount Sinai hospital, but my uh, personal website is uh, scoliosisassociates.com. So it's okay. one word, scoliosisassociates. Okay. And I think we have an Instagram and I, it's a scoliosis fixer. Correct. Yes. <laughs> that's where I found you. <laughs> yes, that's, that's what it is. And the scoliosis fixer, you know, I, I, we have some educational videos that are going to be coming out soon. We'll have okay. some of those on Instagram, some on our Facebook, but you know, my goal is to really, uh, with my website, for example, is to educate families, and we're going to be updating the website. Uh, but the Instagram is a lot of thumbs up. You know, it's me with patients and uh, and them doing their activities and mm -hmm. and uh, getting back to life. And I just feel like it illustrates for families who are seeking information and kind of allays some of their fears. You can see patients getting back, yeah. young ladies and young men getting back to their lives and, and doing so well. So that's kind of what we do with our Instagram. Okay, I, well, I, wish, I, wish, I wish Instagram was around when I had my surgery, when I was diagnosed. I wish you were around when I was diagnosed. Life would be very different. Um, but I wanna personally thank you for just coming and giving me some of your time to be a guest on the show because it's, like I said before, there are people that you're going to, that you have done surgery on and that you will be doing surgery on. And the connection that you have with those patients, I've never heard anything like it before. Thank you so much. You know, I, I really feel, you know, we say doctors have privileges at such and such a hospital. Well, I, I feel privileged to be able to take care of patients and, uh, you know, to pursue what I love to, to, to do. And that is to take care of patients and and help um, restore their function for those who have pain and, and problems and yeah. also restore their body shape. And it's really rewarding for me. And so I know there's a lot of fear for the families. And so I try to make myself available. And, um, you know, after surgery, the patients and the families have my phone number, personal phone number. Yeah. So I do my best and I, I really, uh, appreciate that we we have such wonderful patients from around the world and i think you're doing terrific work oh, and service by through your um 
you know, you're taking care of uh, individuals and keeping Thank them you. fit, but also through your, your podcast. I think it's a great service. Thank you. Well, I, I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much, Teresa. I, I thank you for being a guest on the T3 Fit Scoliosis podcast. If anybody has any questions, please feel free to reach out to Dr. Lawner. I know him through Instagram. His team will get in touch with you. He has also given the phone number. Dr. Lawner, thank you. Thank you. Be well. Take care. If you like this episode, chances are there's someone else out there who needs to hear it too. So it would be a huge favor to me if you'd go ahead and give us a five-star review. It helps me get the message out to more people. And if you need help moving in pain, then download my five free tips and I'll catch you on the next episode.